Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. July 22nd and what is hopefully the hottest day of the year. I hope so. I mean, my goodness. It is brutal. But it is great to be with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and I don't know about you, Haydad. I'm feeling pretty incredible. How are you feeling? I mean, I'm all right. I wouldn't go so far as to say incredible. Why why incredible? If there's a song that could define a mood right now, the late Bill Withers, legend. Great song, by the way. We have gone... Four months and ten days without a team sport. Okay. More or less, yeah. With all due respect to Major League Soccer, nobody here cares, okay? In, like, the entire United States. And with all due respect to the PGA Tour, I love the PGA Tour. It's not the same. Same thing with NASCAR. Right now, on a monitor in front of my face... American professional basketball is being played right now. It's true. Just one look at you. Woo. And, and tomorrow, because Radiothon's tomorrow, so we're looping this in as well. Major League Baseball returns. Yeah. Oh, man, it feels good. We have- there will be sports on Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, not tomorrow, <laughs> but Friday. We will have games to recap on Friday's show. It has been four months in ten days since we've been able to say we will have real games to recap on Friday's show. It is a lovely day. I feel incredible. Once the Clippers and the Nuggets who are playing right now... It's just a scrimmage. They don't start real games until next week. But something just hit me that we have gone through the longest hiatus of American team sport ever, ever, like ever in the history of time. Yeah. We haven't gone since four sport months was without invented. It. Yeah. I mean, I had somebody tell me, I didn't research, I just believed them when they said, but even during World War II, we didn't have a four and a half month hiatus of an American team sport, yeah. whether it be college football or, or Major League Baseball, which, you know, we didn't have a four and a half month long drought even during that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, without doing the research, I can believe that. I didn't do the research. I, I'm just going to accept that as truth to make myself feel better today. This feels incredible. And I see you got your giant shirt on right now. When do they start? Are they tomorrow or are they Friday into the weekend? I think they're in the weekend. 
I don't. I don't. I honestly don't know off the top of my head. If only I had a device. You you don't know that? What kind of fan are you? Uh, the, the 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 what's the word I'd look for? The the, the casual kind, I guess. It's Giants. Uh, goodness. Tomorrow. Nice. 9.08 p.m. Oh, they're the nightcap. Are they in L.A.? They are playing the Dodgers. Nice. Who are about to spend $500 billion on one player. Yeah, so we can start with that. Why not? Uh, I didn't know much about the deal when Mookie left Boston. But when I was reading about it today, was it widely known that the Red Sox, when they let Mookie go to L.A., they thought they were going to be able to sign him back? After last year or the one year in LA, I don't know if they, they if that's widely known. I know that that might have been like one of the the lines of thinking, but it does, there was there was never any way in my mind that something like that was going to happen. Because I read that and I thought, wait, there's no way, there's no possible way the Red Sox thought they're going to send him off to LA and then he's just going to come running right back shortly thereafter. There's no way. Right, yeah. Has that when does that ever happened in sports where you had sort of an acrimonious departure, but then the guy just comes right back to you? It doesn't seem like it's very often. Yeah, like could you imagine Brett Favre returning to Green Bay? Like go to no. Minneapolis, throw that interception, no. send the Saints to the Super Bowl, and then go back to Green Bay? No, I, I can't see that happening at all. I didn't mean to insult our uh, resident Southern Miss fans. I, I hope you understand. Um, Brett Favre sent the Saints to the Super Bowl. He did. That that did happen. It, there's video evidence. <laughs> so what is it? 13 years, $380 million for Mookie Betts in Los Angeles. Yeah. So what is that? I, I, I want to see how that deal breaks down because just at first glance, you're talking less than 30 a year. And so I was like, it seems, this seems weird to say. When we're talking about $380 million, it seems low. So I'm going to assume that it's it is probably very front loaded, and then by the end the, the the salary is much less, and maybe there's some some team friendly stuff, or, or maybe they have it worked in where they'll pay him over a million dollars a year until he's eighty. <laughs> the Bonilla clause has been <laughs> has been activated. You can be a part of the show if you'd like to do so this afternoon. 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. But C Spire does remind you, please do not text and drive. Be a part of the show. Just do it safely. And uh, all guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. We'll be joined today by a friend of mine and one of the most entertaining people I know. And you've heard him on the show before, actually, if you remember a couple of years ago when Mississippi State played at Louisiana Tech, the uh, third and 93 game. Or was it third and 92? What was the third down? And third and 93. Third and 93. Yeah. Uh, when Mississippi State played at Louisiana Tech, he joined the show uh, to talk about that game uh, that Thursday, I think, before that game. Anyway, fast forward years later. His name is Ben Mintz. He's on the radio in Baton Rouge, ESPN 104.5, and he is a former professional poker player. And so we'll talk uh, his time in the World Series of Poker. He finished 75th one year. It's a hefty payday, as we learned. That's, that's a good money. Uh, his unconventional path into sports radio, and then he's a gambling guy. That's what he does. He's a sports gambler. We've got basketball coming next week, baseball starting tomorrow. We looked at NFL futures, so it's a long conversation where we talk his time as a pro poker player, and give you some picks. Uh, we we looked at an MVP prop. We did 
receiving yards prop, division winners, full gambling conversation coming up later. He's really good at it. Excellent at it. He's got some picks for you coming up later on as sports start to come back. So looking forward to that starting in the 4 o'clock hour. But let's start here. So it's not big news because as we told you over the last few days, we never really expected this game to happen to begin with. However, it certainly seems like now this news out of New Mexico has ended Mississippi State's season opener. According to that Albuquerque Journal, the governor of New Mexico has sent a letter to both New Mexico State and New Mexico asking them to move their season to the spring. The governor there does not want them to play this fall. Michelle Grisham is her name, sent a letter on Tuesday to the leadership at both schools urging them, strongly urging them, in quotes, to suspend contact sports this fall, including football. Now, it's not a demand, but on top of everything else going on, certainly sounds like this is kind of the end of that game. Yeah. I, I like you, and like you said, I, once we started talking about conference-only schedules and things like that, my, my thoughts that that game would ever happen were probably out the door anyway. Uh, so, but this, well, we talked earlier this week about how you know the, the governors are going to make some decisions regarding you know home games, obviously. But I, I can't be made to believe that the governor of the state doesn't have enough influence to you know get that done. If you if they want no football in that state, it's probably going to happen. Or not going to happen, I guess would be the case. And I hope we get to this at some point. I read a story earlier today, and it's got a political angle, but in an interesting way, I promise. There's going to be no political opinion here. But there uh, have been some political scientists that have looked at this fall and what football is going to look like in given states, and they've determined that a governor, for example, that doesn't allow football to happen in their state it could cost them their upcoming election this fall. Oh, it would 100% do that. To where it, Are goes, you it, where it goes all the way up to the presidency. To where if you have a certain party's governors that are canceling football, it let, let's say a bunch of Democratic governors end football in their state, it would adversely affect the Biden campaign. If a bunch of Republican governors canceled football in their state, it would adversely affect the Trump campaign. And so if we have time to get to it later... That's the gist of it, but man, it's a fascinating story about how football directly ties in to a potential shakeup in politics yeah. coming this fall. It's amazing. There is zero question in my mind that if Tate Reeves decided to cancel football, which I don't believe he would do, <laughs> that he not only would he not win re-election, he might be impeached. They might get try to find a way to get him out now. Can't have that. No. We could get Mike Leach to primary him. I wanted. I just want to see the debates. That's all I want. The pay decrease would be pretty substantial, though. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Pays more to be a way. football coach than a coach. It does. As it turns out, six zero one eight seven nine forty three ninety five. A couple of your texts have come in. We'll get to those next at Sports Talk Mississippi on the day before team sports return in the United States. We'll be right back. The head of the NCAA is testifying to Congress today because that's what our elected officials need to be worried about. And it's on name, image, and likeness. And at least to his credit, he has acknowledged that he and his organization are too incompetent to handle legislation involving name, image, and likeness. So they've 
requested Congress do it. And so that's kind of the genesis of these hearings. Is because, because that's who you should call when, when incompetence is, is the problem. Yeah, see, here's the thing. So Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, with the Clemson athletic director and a few others, is testifying to Congress. And um, it hasn't looked good for Mark, but anyway, that's not the point. So he has asked Congress, congressmen like Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, to draft legislation that would allow college athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. Uh, The same Lindsey Graham, who spent a lot of his time today saying that uh, name, image, and likeness would only allow boosters to come in and pay kids to go to the school that they support. What? You want to tell him? (laughs) Apparently, he he has spent a lot of time saying that all hell will break loose if we let college athletes benefit from their name, image, and likeness because boosters would step in and give them inducements that they don't deserve. That's not even the worst thing that's been said today. Though. Not even close. The The worst one to me is Emmert telling him he never heard of anybody pulling a scholarship because of injury. <laughs> like, like, what hey, sports do you watch? And the thing is, Mark was the AD at LSU when Nick Saban was the coach there. Ah! The king of the process! <laughs> Jeez Louise, man. Uh, so, Ross Dellinger, friend of the show, has been uh, tweeting the, the most important quotes and stuff. So if you're a Twitter guy, you can uh, follow Ross and see what they've been discussing. They're um, not anywhere close to getting this right, it seems. Cory Booker has <laughs> had another wonderful day uh, ripping on them and you know, I actually support him on this. But either way, if you want to see it, that's going on right now. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borkey's Brian Haydad. A few of your texts have come in. This one uh, I have not seen yet, so I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, Delta State and the Gulf South Conference are moving to conference-only games, pushing back their report date and start uh, by two weeks. He said that's most good. players have been on campus working out, though. Good they're playing, though. Yeah, I, I love to see the... Uh, smaller conferences and schools trying to find a way to play this fall. Because moving to the spring, especially for someone like Delta State, with all due respect, you know we love Delta State on this show. And, and the story history of that program is phenomenal. But the GSC is not exactly going to be first in line in a spring football television deal. I mean, if that does happen, it would be Conference USA and the Sun Belt and FCS that would get the first bidding on that. I don't know how much value a season-long Division II television package would carry if they moved to the spring. So there's no guarantee that they would get any kind of additional money, and that brings in all kinds of problems in and of itself if they were to make that move. So it's good to see them trying to play this fall, even with a delay and an altered schedule. Yeah. And I mean... I'll go ahead and tell you, the, the, the SEC is probably going to have the same thing. There's probably going to be a delay. There's going to be an altered schedule. There's no question about that. So it's just the way it's going to have to be. Mike in Oxford uh, sends us a list of uh, Netflix and Amazon suggestions. I have seen a handful of these. He put Outer Banks on here. So not to date you, Mike, let's just say that Mike is a little bit older than me. He's an adult man. I am technically an adult man, although I don't act like it sometimes. Outer Banks, while I actually enjoyed it, and I'm ashamed to admit it out loud because it's like a teenage heartthrob, but also like treasure hunt show. Um, I'm just really surprised to see Mike and Oxford send 
Outer Banks is a recommendation for us to watch on Netflix. I watched it. I liked it. But I'm just surprised to see a gentleman and a scholar like yourself recommend Outer Banks to me. Have, have you seen it yet? I, I have no idea. No, no, never, never even heard of it. Yeah, it's a show about high school kids that live on the Outer Banks, even though it was filmed in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. But Outer Banks is a real place. Yeah. And one of these kids' dad is a treasure hunter, and his dad passes away but left behind a clue. And so he and his buddies start hunting for this treasure that his dad left clues behind for. But then you learn that people in the town are also searching for this treasure. And then magically somewhere along the way, the the leader of the group, and it's a group of troubled kids, uh, falls in love with the rich guy's daughter. And they get to, you know, it's one of those kind of shows. I, I'm not watching that. Just, just go ahead and let you know. <laughs> That's something uh, like uh, the the 18-year-old girl is really the target demographic for a show like that. Yeah. But I still watched it. I mean, it was quarantine. What else did you want me to do? Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you only have so many options at that point. Uh, Jeff is asking you, hey, Dad, if uh, Mississippi State could host Southern Miss for their opening game. Let's extend that further. Now that a game has been lost, the Texas athletic director is saying that they're going to play all 12. Now, it could be far-fetched, but that's what he's saying. I'm not not buying that, but okay. Is there a prospect to add games, or do you expect it to not happen? I I don't expect games to be added to the schedule. I I think whatever we have right now is what they have. You know, State, Ole Miss, both. Uh, games can be taken away. I, I, you know, I won't be surprised if State ends up playing North Carolina State. So I think there's going to be some sort of agreement with the ACC. Won't be surprised if Ole Miss keeps the Baylor game. I think there might be a, an agreement with the Big 12. But I would be shocked if any games are added to the schedule right now. Same. Although that said, if it's going to happen, Southern would be a great choice because you you limit travel, you, you get a home game, and so on and so forth. It surprises me none, somebody says, that Borky watched and liked that show. What's next? Melrose Place. Well, I don't know what that is. Melrose Place was like a, uh, uh, whatever millennials were back in the 90s. I don't know what they they would have called it. It's like a soap opera for them. Uh, I see. Bunch of hot singles, you know. Richard Wiggins suggests Dawson Creek. Dawson's Creek. I don't want to wait. For my life to be over. Uh, West Cannon, man. Different show, I know, but same actor. I'll take your word for all of this stuff. I... Um, West Cannon, that's from Varsity Blues. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, he was Mox. Yeah, Mox right. was uh, yeah. Dawson. Okay. If I remember correctly, that wasn't... Uh, wasn't something that I paid attention to. I have two older sisters, and they both really watched Gossip Girl, um, Gilmore Girls, and, oh gosh, I forgot the other one. But anyway, so I've seen a bunch of those myself, too, because when you're, you know, six, seven, eight years old, you don't really have control of what's on, and my sisters made sure I got to see a bunch of that garbage. I'm I'm sure you enjoyed it. (laughs) Probably not. No, although I've probably seen it uh, more than I'd care to admit. 
All right, so I've been meaning to bring this up, and uh, we'll send the poll out there and then come back and discuss it with you more. But the NFL confirmed today that there will be a mask mandate inside of their stadiums nationwide. So whether or not you can have 50% capacity or if you're ambitious, 70%, or you only let 10,000 people in your stadium, you will have to have a mask on if you are inside. And... One, the poll question is going to be, will a stadium mask mandate stop you from going to a game? If everything else is the same, but they require you to wear a mask when you walk inside, will that stop you from attending a game? And we'll also look at the prospect of uh, that happening around here in SEC country. Will you see a mask mandate to go to a game in Oxford or Starkville or Hattiesburg this year? Will that be a requirement to go watch your teams play, even at a reduced capacity. So we'll discuss that next. Also, uh, everybody's least favorite topic, but it's something that happened again last night in, uh, or again this week in Major League Baseball circles, uh, kneeling for the anthem. You're you're not going to escape it. It's happening in Major League Baseball. In fact, there's going to be a stencil on the mounds, and we'll tell you what that is coming up after the break, that a lot of you may not like. And so we'll discuss... That coming to baseball as well when we get back from the break here. But six zero, we're going to have to talk about how evidently Lindsey Graham just does not watch college football. Uh oh. Just said, very few coaches get paid a lot of money that lose over time. <laughs> Prosecution <laughs> presents much champ Will, who coaches at his alma mater. Yeah, Lindsey yeah. Graham went to South yeah. Carolina. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. A lot of your texts. We'll get to those as well as this uh, mask story and Major League Baseball is next in the anthem kneeling. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. I'm Michael Borky. He's Brian Haydad. It's great to be with you on Sports Talk. Wednesday afternoon, sadly... Richard Cross will be joining us again tomorrow. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's it's good for us. We can pay a little less attention. You only have to give like thirty three percent the effort tomorrow. But it is a good percent today. It, Friday, I'll be sad. Tomorrow, it's great to have him back for the Palmer Home Radiothon. That is tomorrow, six a.m., six p.m. Starting with Gallo, ending with us. You've been so good to us over the last few years. This is my sixth Palmer Home Radiothon I've been involved with, either behind the scenes or physically actually there on site. But watching Mississippi step up year after year, and a little bit more year after year the way you've done has been incredible. And I I know this this year's been really tough on a lot of you. I said it yesterday and Monday as well, but it bears repeating that this has been a really hard year uh, on, on a lot of people, financially and emotionally and otherwise. So we're going to ask you to to give if you can, of course, because the children at Palmer Home need it. They don't take any government money. It all comes from funds from people like you to keep that operation alive, and it's truly an incredible place if you ever get the chance to visit. But uh, help us spread the word. If you can't donate, help us spread the word. That's, That's just as important as any dollar we get tomorrow is telling a friend. Telling your wife or your husband or your kids or your neighbor or some co-workers, get as many people involved as you can. That would help us just as much as any 
amount of money donation that you can give. So give if you can, but most importantly, help us spread the word. Tomorrow, the Palmer Home Radiothon right here on Super Talk, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Again, starting with Gallo, ending with us. Unfortunately, Richard will be back. But that that is when he thrives the most, is on Palmer Home Day. That's when he's at his best, is days like tomorrow. So it's good we're having him back for that. I wish he would go back on vacation after 6 o'clock tomorrow. But, you know, we'll get through it. Is this the year? Somebody said, are you going to eat cat food this year or dog food? Did that happen last year? It did not. We did not get that certain number. I don't know what I'm going to do this year. Nobody's brought up anything to my attention, so maybe I'm going to avoid it this time around. Just, just you know, how about I, I get I get to split the uprights on you? Just one quick swift kick <laughs> for 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 a half. If we can raise a half mil. Oh uh, man! So no? okay, there, there's a defensive end. I Fiati Odenegbu. Gazunite. If I'm saying that correctly, I think I am. I, I've I practiced it during the break. Ifieri Odin Igbu. He uh, he plays for the 49 or not the 49ers, the Vikings. Really good defensive end. But he posted on Twitter, he said, People keep asking me, is it going to be weird not playing with fans? He says, I tell these suckers, clearly you've never watched an 11 a.m. Northwestern game. I was born to do this. <laughs> That's good stuff. Oh, Nothing man. better than self deprecating humor. It's the best. It's it's kind of sad that he's not wrong either. Like he, you know, that's that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's definitely right. I mean, heck, anybody who played for uh, for Croom or Orgeron at Ole Miss can do the same, or played for Ole Miss in uh, twenty twenty. But Wednesday, well, twenty twenty doesn't count. Yeah, or, I mean, in twenty nineteen. Excuse me. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's what I was trying to say. It just didn't come out the right way. Uh, some Netflix reps from the Rex from the two two eight Last Kingdom or the Boy on Amazon both a little crude but very good. John in Oxford says the Outer Banks was like the Goonies in twenty twenty, but the kids were on the Mid Atlantic coast. <laughs> that is so accurate. Uh, Gibbon Greenwood says uh, the OC. That was another one of those like teen millennial, not millennials not the right word. It was in the nineties or late two or the early two thousands. Is that, that the show California? that Jay Cutler's ex was on? No, no, no. She was on The Hills, right? Oh. Uh-huh. That was a reality show. The OC was a a, a show uh-huh. show. A scripted drama, if you will. The other one was definitely not a scripted drama either, though. There may have been some, some <laughs> scripting and some drama. I don't know if it was by intention, though. Hogman asks uh, on the mask thing. So the poll question is, will a stadium mask mandate stop you from going to a game this fall? So we told you a second ago, NFL, league-wide, you have to wear a mask to go to a game in the NFL. You have to have one on to enter the stadium. You have to have one on while you're inside of the stadium. The only exceptions will be if you are immediately consuming a beverage or eating food. That would be the exception. The concessions are going to be very spread out and socially distanced. Same thing with the bathrooms. But if you're not consuming a beverage, mask has to be on. Um, 18% so far say yes. So a very small number of people say that if I have to wear a mask to, to go to a game, that will stop me from going to a game. I mean, well, then you're just not going to go to the game. I mean, you know, it's a good thing you feel that way because it's going to be it's going to be the case. Hogman's asking if you can see people wearing a mask in the Grove. Um, 
I have not talked to anybody about this. This is just my guess. However, if let's say Ole Miss is at 33% capacity, so if they can fill a third of their stadium up, there will be some kind of restriction of how many people can be at the Grove in the circle. That is just my guess. Nobody's told me that, but that's what logic kind of tells you. How is that enforced, you know? Put a temporary fence around the entire thing, I guess. I guess, but, like, I I just don't see how it works. That's one thing I don't – there's a lot of things I have trouble envisioning. I I just don't understand how they're going to work. I can't make it, you know, click in my mind. Keeping people out of the Grove and the Junction and, and, you know, and from tailgating, how are you going to do that? So I don't, I don't know the answer to that. We get a text here that says, we used to wear sport coats in August uh, on football game days. I'll wear a mask. Yeah, I remember pledge ship too, man. That was the worst. <laughs> I mean, just the worst. You people wearing sports coats to football games. What's wrong with y'all? It was a you know, fraternity. No, I know. I, I, I didn't get put it. one on the day that pledge ship ended. That was the I day get it, it ended. But geez. Jeff says if he goes to a game, it will be in a luxury box. Well, uh, nice flex, man. Lucky you. I'll be in a box. I'll be in the press box. Nothing luxurious about it. Will they make you? You'll have to have one on, too, won't you? I would imagine. I, I, I was thinking about that the other day. I, watching a soccer game, and they were showing the press box. It got me to thinking about that. And, you know, like, my first thought is they're going to have to, they're probably going to tell media outlets one one per customer, basically. You know, so not that's not a problem for us because it's just me up there at state. But, you know, somebody like 24 7 or the Clarion Ledger who have multiple people usually, they're probably going to be told one. And then they'll spread us out. They'll probably limit visiting media. Um, maybe you know, all together. I think they, they would let a couple maybe come. It just depends. It, it, might, it might be a situation where, mentioning 24-7 the Clarion Ledger, if you already have a person covering it, that person can cover it for both sites or something. I, I, I don't know. And if you, you know, somebody like the Oxford Eagle, or I guess a better example would be the Starville Daily News because that's the game's in Oxford this year. They might be allowed to come because there is nobody who can cover the game yeah. for, you know, but somebody from the old, this sounds weird to think about. Imagine an, uh, an article written by Chuck Roundsville, front page on Gene's page, but, it might, it might have to be that way. It's like y- y- y'all can, you know, y'all can work together. There are Something people. Like that. If that happened, or vice versa, I'll be so much anger. Explo- just hilarious. It'd be funny. The first really, really real funny. documented case of spontaneous combustion would, would happen right here in Mississippi. If that was the case, Charlie says that I should buzz my head and grow a beard. Well, here's the thing: I can only do one half of those. <laughs> the beard thing would take a few months, and by then, you guys would have forgotten about it. And he follows it up with, are we having college football for sure? Well, that's the million-dollar question. I can tell you with 100% certainty they're going to try. That's, yes. all, that's, that's all they can offer to you right now. John Cohen spoke with uh, our good friend Joel Coleman uh, just yesterday at the uh, ceremony where Kylan Hill got the, the, cer- the key to the city of Columbus. And he, he was very confident that in some way, shape, or form there will be college football this calendar year. Somebody says I should eat three cans of Pringles if we raise 250k. Well, make it a little bit more challenging than that. We'll get 250 by like four o'clock. Three cans of Pringles is a lot. I mean, what's the but the thing? Like, what's the time limit on that? We got to set. You know, you got to have it done in ten minutes. How how long is a segment? Eleven thirty for most of them. So we saw a guy. You know. 
<laughs> eat a can in a segment. It took him a segment to do it, right? Give or take. Yeah. I don't know that you could do three. So could you do three cans in an hour? That would be that'd be a lot of that's a lot of carbs. You would need to run the next day. That's a lot of carbs and then the next few hours. Like eating them wouldn't be a problem. I think I could do three in an hour. It's three hours from then. How am I feeling? And what's happening to my body after that. That's that's the concern. Um somebody says sounds like a good time to invent a straw attachment for a mask. Or Galaxy Brain, you know those floppy flasks that you can like fit inside of your belt or something, or like, yeah, yeah, the binocular masks, or some people even have flasks or the the tie that actually stores liquid inside of the tie, and there's a little nozzle at the end that you can't see. Yeah. Just have a mask that stores alcohol in it, and you yeah. can just casually just just sip right out of your mask. Yeah, while you're I, I see where you're there. going there. Yeah, yeah. I like this. 100-yard bear crawl with me on your back. What's the what's the dollar amount for that? Oh, man. Kneeling in baseball. We got to talk about this as much as I don't want to, and we'll do that next at Sports Talk Mississippi. In Major League Baseball last night and Monday, just as one example, a large portion of the San Francisco Giants knelt during the National Anthem before exhibitions on both Monday and Tuesday, including Pablo Sandoval and Hunter Pence. Joey Votto kneeled with Reds teammates on Tuesday afternoon. So did the manager of the Giants, Gabe Kapler. They are not the only teams to do it. A lot of them have done it, but there's just your example of what is already happening and what has come to Major League Baseball, and that's not all. Um, According to a national press release, uh, on opening day, the Nationals, in conjunction with Major League Baseball, uh, will have a stencil that has Black Lives Matter line Major League Baseball, and it will appear on the pitcher's mound during the games of the opening weekend. And I'm not going to tell you how to feel about any of this. It's not my job. I'm not going to tell you how to feel. What I am going to tell you, though, is at this point, if you are a sports fan, there's no escaping things like that. NASCAR, even, you saw it. PGA Tour players have spoken up about it. They had uh, in an event a couple of weeks ago um, at, at 8.47 in the morning, they uh, had a course-wide shutdown and moment of silence because that's how long uh, George Floyd's neck was neat on. Uh In the NBA next week, Black Lives Matter is painted on the court. Uh, In Major League Baseball, they are kneeling now for the national anthem, and that phrase will be on the pitcher's mound. When the NFL returns, they are absolutely going to kneel in part for the national anthem. In college football, the players are not on the field during the anthem, but your players, if you're listening and you're a fan of a team in this state, your players have spoken out. Fan of a team anywhere in the country. Yeah, and your players have spoken out. At this point, I don't know what to tell you other than if you are are uncomfortable or do not like those kind of gestures, I don't think there's a sport where you can go and, and not see or hear about it. No. No, it's, it's, it is going to be part of the fabric of sports for the remainder of, of the, the, this year going forward. You know, will it, will it always be this way? Probably not. 
probably, I mean, you know, after Kaepernick you know, started kneeling, it died down for a while, and now it's flared back up, and, and you know, it's just going to be that way. So, you know, if, it, if it's something that turns you off of sports, well, then there's not going to be any sports for you uh, for the next, you know, six to eight months. Jeff, I see your text, and I think you're exactly right. Uh, I think you're exactly right. Tony and Clara says maybe hockey. That might be it. Uh, seriously, that yeah, because I don't think you. Can, I don't know. How, I might try to be flippant. Like, how do you kneel in in those pads and skates and everything else? They can do it. I've seen them do it, but it, yeah. maybe that's the 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 one sport that you'll have uh, without it. Um, Richard is not here today, but you say great thoughts, Richard. But I will say, every time I hear you talk, you make me want to go to the nearest Keith Superstone, Keith Superstore, and tear the bathroom stall off the hinges. I will tell him tomorrow that you we'll pass that, that along. Him. Yeah. And Mike says, just do it like college football and play before the teams come out or quit playing it altogether. So, I tweeted something two days ago, and it was a guy that's running for Congress in Florida. Um, He calls himself a Republican, and he said on Twitter that the people who kneel for the anthem should be arrested. And I just quoted it and said, no matter how you feel about the protests, we can all agree that this is insane because there is a thing called uh, the First Amendment. However, a lot of the replies to that were, yeah, I think that's crazy, but uh, the league should do something about this because... People are absolutely right when they say that even in a time like this, when ratings are going to be through the roof because we haven't had sports in a long time, they're not going to be as good as they would have been. And then if this continues and things start getting back to normal, they're going to go down. There was a direct correlation between anthem protest and declining of ratings in the NFL. That was not the only factor. A bunch of quarterbacks got hurt. Uh, they had presidential debates they were competing up against, and the political nature was so polarizing back then that it drew eyeballs away from football. But also, you had that protest. And people listening to this show said, I am not watching if that's what they're doing. And I'm not going to tell you if you're right or wrong. That's what you did. And that sentiment is going to happen again. There will be people that will not watch. So these leagues, to Mike's point, I think they are... They feel like they're doing right by their players by allowing them to promote these messages. But once they start affecting their bottom line, they will make changes. Because they're not going to let their bottom line be impacted beyond just this year. So if it keeps going, they're going to do what Mike... This is just a prediction, but I think it's it's a dead on. They will alter the way the anthem is done to ensure that players aren't kneeling for it because they're not there to do it anymore if it starts affecting their bottom line. And if you guys are telling the truth, which you were in 2016, and you stop watching because they're doing it, a change will happen quickly. That's how business and capitalism works. Ben Mintz joins us next. Really fun conversation with a really good dude. We talk poker and sports gambling and give you some picks as well. That's coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. We're doing this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you. A lot of your texts have come in. And like I was saying right before we were up against a hard break, that is something that a lot of you feel very passionate about. We have gotten 
texts that vary from, you can have all sports, I'm not watching communists, it's disgraceful. Um, I won't miss a second of it. My weekends have been freed up. I will not watch any sport if they kneel. I'm glad you said that about college games. I will not be watching the Rebels play. You won't be watching anybody if if that's the the case. Um, My blood pressure is already up. Cameras just don't need to show them, and that's you're probably going to see a lot of that. Um, Lisa says, simply just don't start watching until after the anthem. And here's the thing, like in the NFL, they rarely, rarely actually show it on the broadcast. Rare. I mean, they don't in the regular season. It's just, here's the game. It's 310. Here's Saints football. Like that it's not shown that often, but still. I'm not watching a bunch of haters. So hmm. If you guys feel strongly about that. And uh we hope you at least stick around to the sports show, even though you are abandoning sports altogether. Right now, here's a conversation I recorded earlier today with my friend Ben Mintz. He's on uh, radio in Baton Rouge, uh ESPN 1045 former professional poker player, which you'll hear us start with his time as a poker pro and then give you a lot of upcoming gambling picks. You know, the the sports books are back open, a lot of props, a lot of picks coming your way right now. Here's part one of my conversation with a really entertaining, really good guy, Ben Mintz. When it comes to your journey into sports radio, you took a little bit of, uh, of a different path than most people. We talked about this on the radio show a couple years ago when you joined us, but you've been a professional poker player, and you still kind of do that, don't you? Yeah. So basically, uh, I was I'm, I'm I'm a little older than uh, than you are, Mr. Borky. I I went to Ole Miss <laughs> back in 2001. I was there for the Eli Manning era, and about my fourth fifth year of college at Oxford, I, I got real into playing poker at the ATO frat house, and then I'd go play in Horseshoe Tunica and just play online and. You know, it wasn't anything special. I was a broke kid with 200 bucks to my name. And one night, I just hop into a tournament on party poker. It's 20 bucks, and there's 2,400 people in it. And I just win it for 10,000 in uh, April of 06. And like right when that happened, I mean, you know, we had to see where that was going to go. And uh, I basically was a pro poker player from 2006 to 14. And uh, Rose, I was top 200 in the world at my peak online. I did well in the wow. World Series main event. In, in, in 2011, I got 75th in the World Series main event was the, the, the peak of it all. Uh, but I actually went back. I went back to Ole Miss when I was 31 years old in 2014 to finish my finance degree. And then I and then I kind of lucked into a sports radio job after I graduated in 2015. So I've taken it's been a long and winding road, but uh, it's certainly been fun. What's the biggest hand you ever won as a pro? Or just playing poker uh, the in general? Ten, the, the, oh, the best hand for sure is I actually told the story on ESPN Baton Rouge Game Time last night. Uh, day three of the World Series of Poker main event in 2011. Uh, I'm, I'm doing really well at my table, and one of the top five pros in the world named Patrick Antonius, who's a former pro tennis player, but he's just European beast from Finland. I mean, he's, he's amazing. He comes and sits down immediately to my right. Uh, during the main event and he had so many chips you couldn't even see his ziploc bag as he walked up to the table and so he sits down at this table and he doesn't know who any of the people are he doesn't know who i am i'm some random to him and uh, he starts raising every hand and just going crazy and i I was on his left so i start playing some hands against him and we start battling and it sets up this one hand where he raises pre-flop and i had king queen which if you know anything about hold'em like pretty good hand but not like you know super great 
and I re-raised him, and then he looks at me and just bombs it. Like, I made it 19500 He makes it 64 k This is day three of the World Series main event. I have 200 k and he had 160 So he bombs it to 64 k and I'm about to fold because I'm like, why am I messing with one of the top five players in the world here when all these idiots are at this table? And as I'm about to fold, my instincts, like, went off in my stomach. It was just like, you know what? This dude just don't think you got the heart to, to, to make a move on him here on day three of the 10K World Series main. And I bombed it and uh, went all in with King Queen in the spot. And he folded. And I showed it to the table. And people just lost their minds. Oh, and man. Nobody wanted, no, and nobody wanted to mess with me the whole rest of the day. I just dominated this table. But the only bummer of it all is a shame, like – ESPN cameras were all over Antonius, but they missed that hand. But oh, know, of course, it still happened. So, were you on TV then? Because I remember watching the World Series as a kid. I, I've been so I've never been at a TV. What they do is they have three TV featured tables during the main, and I've never gotten pulled to one of the featured tables. But I've been on the broadcast at side tables or walking around. Uh, you see, because I, I did well in the main event in 2018. I got 327th in it. So I've played it five times, and I've cashed in it twice, and I'm a, a big winner in it lifetime. If you don't mind me asking, what does 75th in the World Series pay out? Uh, uh, it paid it paid $90,000, which is the biggest Whoa. win I've ever had. But 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 I'll be transparent for your listeners. Uh, you know, it's a $10,000 buy-in. What I usually do for the main event is put up 1500 or 2000 and then I sell off action to investors because 10000 is so much for a poker tournament, as you know. And so, like, usually I'm playing for, like, 30 to 40% of myself in the main. And honestly, that's how a lot of the poker world works is uh, people sell, investing and that kind of thing. I, I had no idea that happened. So we'll, we'll get to the sports in a little bit, but this is so interesting to me. So when, when you say that you get investors, so you, you put up, what would you say, $2,000 for yourself. You got to find the other 8K somewhere. How do you like who do you talk to to go find that? And then what's in it for them? Well, so basically it's kind of the poker world is kind of similar to the golf world. And that if you're in it, you're in it and everybody's going to the same stop. So when you look at Southern poker, especially uh, Harris, New Orleans has World Series NOLA every year. Beau Rivage, Biloxi, the million dollar heater. World Series of Poker Tunica at the Horseshoes Big a uh, couple times a year. Go to the Golden Moon in Philadelphia. has got some tourney series. Everybody in Louisiana, Mississippi is going to the same stuff because we're all on that southern poker circuit, kind of like a, like kind of like a minor league golf circuit, I guess is the way I put it. And so you get to you play against the same people all the time. And so you get to know all these people you play against and you become, you know, you compete against them, but then you become friends with them. And, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a smaller network. And so once people know you're good, you can sell action easily if people have respect for you. Man, that's awesome. I, I had no idea it worked like that. Truth be told, I, I'm one of those people that I've wanted to go into a casino and play Hold'em because I like I kind of know how to do it. I know how it works. I certainly like couldn't read somebody or anything like that, but I, I understand the process of the game, and I've always wanted to sit down and give it a shot, but I'm afraid I would do the same thing that people that don't know how to play blackjack do and just piss off the rest of the table by doing some <laughs> kind of amateur move. So I've never done it. I've been scared to do it. Well, what's interesting, I'll, I'll follow up on that for a second. It, 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 when you think about going to the casino and playing poker, it seems a little intimidating if you hadn't done it, if you're used to just playing home games with your friends. But, man, it's really not at all. And I'll tell you the truth. A lot of older people play poker in the South. That's kind of older, retired people that have hobbies. And, man, those are just they're, – they're in there to have a good time, man. They've made their money. They've enjoyed life. They just want to go in there and be social and have fun. And what I find is it's all about just being friendly to people at the table. Don't go in there with a hoodie 
and, you know, sunglasses and, you know, your headphones, your bows, like, you know, go, people are in there in the South because they like to be social and have fun. And so if you're just friendly at the table, it's really laid back. And uh, I think that's the way to go about it. We've got Ben Mintz with us, 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Uh, let's look at, let's start with the NFL. I know I told you we're going to talk NBA and baseball and we're going to get there. I mean, opening day is tomorrow uh, for baseball and then the NBA starts next week. But I want to start with the NFL, especially since you're in a Saints market. We have a lot of Saints fans around the state of Mississippi. When you look at the futures for, let's just start with Super Bowl and work our way backwards. But the Saints have the fourth best odds in the NFL, plus 1,200 or so, depending on where you look. That's incredible value, isn't it? Well, the thing I think about this year, we've got all new dynamics in play for analyzing gambling. And I think the thing the Saints have going for them more than anybody is the continuity in the organization. Same coaching staff. You know, only really adding, what, two, three rookies to an already loaded roster. You know, these teams hadn't had off seasons. You know, all these teams that have new coaches and new quarterbacks and tons of rookies and free agents. You know, the first few weeks of the year are going to be kind of like preseason for them. And when you look at the Saints, so established across the board, uh, should be a huge advantage to get off to a big start. Just that continuity this year, I think. We'll be right back with uh, more of that conversation with Ben Mintz. Again, ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. Uh, love that story about the uh, top 75 finish, but a $90,000 day for playing poker is pretty remarkable. But we're, we're going to get into a few things. Uh, we'll talk Brady in Tampa and should you bet on the Bucks early? Or is that a team that you slow play and bet against in the early going and maybe look at them towards the end of this upcoming season? Where do you see Michael Thomas's totals coming from? What about baseball upcoming tomorrow? What teams... Uh, uh, that he likes in the short season. We look at the Braves over under total. We look at the NBA games upcoming. Who should be the favorite there in Orlando? If you're going to the sports book, who you should put your money on. Best value teams to win the NBA championship. So all that conversation's coming up as we move forward through the 4 o'clock hour with Ben Mintz, uh, sports gambling expert, among many other things. Really good dude. Um, glad you guys are with us as well. 601-879-4395 is the ceasefire text line, and Ben is joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. More mints when we come back. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you. Sports are coming back. Major League Baseball tomorrow, NBA coming up next week, but NFL training camp is about to begin. A lot of players have already reported to their places, so we figured we'd start with NBA conversation. If you're headed to the sports book, you're going to put some futures down on some NFL, just Super Bowl odds, MVP odds, and some props. Ben Mintz of ESPN 104.5 and Baton Rouge and I discussed that a little bit earlier today, so here we go. Get a pen ready. Ben Mintz's picks on NFL futures coming up this season. Do you think that adversely affects – Baltimore is not so much young anymore. I mean, this will be Lamar Jackson's third year in the NFL as a starter. So that's he's, he's not a veteran yet, but he kind of understands what it takes. But what about Tampa? I mean, it's Brady's a veteran. Bruce Arians is a veteran. Gronk's a veteran. Their receiver, receiving core has been intact for a long time, but it's all new. Does that – if you're betting on Tampa futures right now, because you can get them – 14 to 1500 is that something that should give you pause maybe because that although they've worked out but still no preseason games i kind of adding on to my thoughts about the saints continuity like when you look at tampa 
Bruce Arians is a head coach, man. I mean, you know, he almost got Carson Palmer to the Super Bowl. He's he's never, you know, getting a coach with Tom Brady. He did a great job with Andrew Luck and Ben Roethlisberger. You know, you usually think about Arians, you think about a vertical offense with eight, nine, and ten-step drops and vertical routes. Obviously, when you saw Tom Brady's crew with Josh McDaniels, you think about a point guard at quarterback, just getting the ball out of his hands, distributing it quickly. So I'm curious to see how Arians adapts to Tom Brady, which I think he will because Arians is a great coach. But the Tampa thing, you kind of just mentioned it. Uh, they got Brady's having to learn the new system. They're, they've got a good run defense. Devin White's going to be an all-pro linebacker, speaking of Baton Rouge and LSU guys. But I still have some questions with their secondary. In my honest opinion of Tampa, I think they're going to be a lot better team in November and December than they are in September. And I think the thing when I look at them, I like the Saints to win this division. I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa's 3-3 three and three or 3-4 three and four and people are talking, oh, what's wrong with the Bucs? And then they end up 9-7 and seven in the wild card. I think they're going to be a lot tougher down the stretch when Brady and Gronk and Arians kind of get to know each other and get it all figured out. Chiefs are the favorite. Ravens just close behind. San Francisco uh, third at plus 900. Mentioned the Saints and the Bucks. Is there anybody outside of that group that you think has pretty good value on a Super Bowl future? Oh, man. Well, I'm very curious. I don't know about winning the Super Bowl. I think I'm going to get some heat for this because I'm not like a Cowboys fan, but I think they could be they could have a shot in the NFC if they get it rolling this year at like 10 to 1 to win the NFC. Uh, I like the McCarthy hire. I think he the big thing was he needed a year off to get new ideas and stuff because his playbook was getting a little stale in Green Bay. But he took that year off. I love their move hiring Mike Nolan. I mean, I hated it for the Saints losing their linebackers coach who did such a great job the last few years. But I like that coaching staff, and I think Dallas has a lot of talent on their roster, and I also just think the NFC East with the Giants and Redskins is weak, and so it makes their schedule uh, a little easier. So I actually like the Cowboys more than I have in quite some time, which, you know, that's not a pertinent. I'm certainly not a fan, and uh, we'll leave it at that. And the <laughs> NFC West, the NFC West is interesting. I think the Rams are falling. I think the Rams have missed their window. I think that you know when you look at them paying Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks for. Both no longer there. They gave Jared Goff $34 million and he struggled. I kind of feel like, you know, they were the, the hot thing with McVay, but I kind of feel like they're heading the wrong direction. And you look at the rest of that division, San Francisco almost went in the Super Bowl. You know, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll in Seattle obviously have it going. And then Arizona, you know, I don't know about Super Bowl-wise, but going to be a lot of fun. You know, certainly since they added DeAndre Hopkins, and I thought that they were, you know, even though the record was 5-11 last year, they were very, very competitive. So I'm kind of looking forward to see what they look like as well. You can get the Seahawks to win that division, by the way, at plus 225 right now. The the Niners thing is interesting because their their defensive line is just, uh, I mean, one of the best I've seen in a long, long time. Kyle Shanahan, amazing coach. I still don't know what they have in Garoppolo, and I feel like they'd say the same thing. Uh, he, he, you can win with him with the running game and the defense. I don't know how necessarily elite he is, but I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not like all in on the Niners this year because I think the depth of that division is tough. And, man, you look at the culture Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson have created. I mean, it's just a winning culture. It, it, every year in the draft, they always take someone in the first round that's projected fourth round, and it always cracks me up because they just trust their system and what John Snyder does is uh, their general manager – so much. Uh, it just always blows me away, their consistency. Speaking of divisions, uh, back to uh, the home team, if you will. Uh, NFC South, is there any reason, if you're at the sports book, to put money down on anybody but the Saints to win the division? Well, I don't know about them winning the division, but the continuity thing that you've heard me preach already multiple times uh, on this on this uh, podcast, Atlanta was 1-7 last year, and I, I can't believe Dan Quinn saved his job. 
I mean, they were one and seven. They go six and two down the stretch. They had road wins at San Francisco and at NOLA. You know, they were playing some good football, and then they've got the continuity thing going too. They're over under seven and a half wins. I'm not saying Atlanta's going to be some great team, but could get, could they go nine and seven in a year like this? Contend for a wild card? Sure. So I'm a little, I like Atlanta a little more than the, the public does. I don't know that they can beat the Saints to win the NFC South, though. They're, they're over under win totals only seven and a half? Yep, seven and a half because they were one and so they were one and seven last year. And what happened that second half of the year, there were two teams that came on strong at the end of the second half that nobody noticed. It's Atlanta in the NFC and the Denver Broncos in the AFC once they got Drew Locke in there and some of those young guys started emerging. And I kind of feel like both of those teams are undervalued going into this year because people had already written them off. And I don't know if people you know, were paying that much attention to how much those teams improved at the end last year. We spent a ton of time talking about the AFC South last year with the runs that the, that the Titans made. And there's some Titans fans in North Mississippi as well. Um, Colts at plus 120, Titans at plus 170, the Texans and the Jags kind of distant third and fourth. Is Phillip Rivers really that much of a difference maker? I know the roster's good in Indianapolis, but the Titans are basically intact, and they played really good ball at the end of last year. I think it's a crime against humanity how disrespected Tennessee is getting here. I, I think, I mean, you talk about a team that went on the road back to back weeks in the playoffs and won at New England and at Baltimore. I mean, that's just incredible. And I have a lot of faith in Mike Brable as a head coach. I certainly think, you know, the, the, the scheme they had for that playoff game against Lamar Jackson, keeping him in the pocket, making him make the long sideline throws, not letting him get those seam throws he was so comfortable with. I mean, it was just genius what they did to Lamar in that game. And I just think when you look at Tennessee last year, they were 2-4 and four until Ryan Tannehill got inserted from Mariota. They averaged over 30 points a game with Tannehill. He had the number one QBR in the league. You know, is Tannehill one of the best quarterbacks in the league? No. But when he's got an offensive line and a running game with Henry and a weapon like A.J. Brown, who led the NFL in receiving the final six weeks of the year, week 12 through 17, I don't know how this team isn't favored. I, I really like the squad, and I think they should be the favorite in the AFC South. And I also heard Phillip Rivers hasn't even set foot in Indy's Indy yet at all, and that's the continuity thing. I don't. I kind of think Rivers is done as well. I know they're going to try to run the ball because the Colts have such a great offensive line. They drafted Jonathan Taylor, but man, I think they got this wrong. I think Tennessee's the favorite. Uh, they almost made the Super Bowl, and they were a completely different team from when they put Ryan Tannehill in. So I like the Titans in this division. If your book has it available, an interesting pick that I've seen is just receiving yard totals. I mean, you can find those kind of props most places. Does Michael Thomas repeat? I know they just added Emmanuel Sanders, but he's still the betting favorite, at least the odds that I'm looking at right now. Is that the guy that that is going to lead the NFL in receiving yards again? Uh, my thing with Thomas, you know, the beauty of his consistency level and what you get week to week with him. I mean, I don't know if I've seen anything like it. You know exactly what you're getting out of him every week. And I like the fact that you mentioned Emmanuel Sanders, who I think is a perfect number two complimentary fit because how quick he gets in and out of breaks. And I think he can run a lot of those crossing routes and stuff that'll work with Drew Brees in the Superdome. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders certainly exploded in that Niners Saints shootout. And I feel like Sean Payton saw that game. and just like, man, we got to get this guy uh, opposite Mike Thomas. Jared Cook emerged a lot the second half of the season. You know, sometimes we've seen when the Saints bring in free agents, Sean Payton runs a complicated offense. I think, you know, maybe it took him seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. He was a little banged up to get it figured out. But, you know, I think Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook's emergence is going to take a little bit of pressure off Mike Thomas this year. Maybe Thomas gets a few less targets, too, because of it. But I feel good about about the Saints' offense. I think they're going to be more balanced with Sanders and Cook stepping up.
You got an MVP pick? Man, I'll never go against Patrick Mahomes. I just can't. He's my voice brother. One of my he talks exactly <laughs> like me. I do fake fake Patrick Mahomes segments where I just say outlandish stuff on the radio. He never say, and it always gets a funny gets a funny response. But man, I, look, I, I've watched sports my entire life, football my entire life for like thirty years. I've you know been gambling on it for over twenty, and man, I've never seen anything like Patrick Mahomes ever and the fact that he's with Andy Reid and the weapons they have in speed and I, I love I can't wait to see what Clyde Edwards Blair does out of the backfield too that's going to give him another weapon I mean if he if he I'll never go against him I just can't do it so I know it's a very boring pick to say Patrick Mahomes is the favorite but you know I, I think if he stays healthy he's going to be the greatest quarterback of all time that's Ben Mintz of ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge uh, when we come back Major League Baseball starts tomorrow where should you put some bets down with the, the two games and then futures and Major League Baseball and also the NBA starting next week? Are the Lakers the only bet to make? Who's a sleeper in the NBA if you're going to the sports book? We'll talk about that next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. One more time with Ben Mintz. We've got baseball coming up tomorrow, basketball coming up next week. How you, when you go to the sports book, should look at both of these leagues and we give a few picks as well. So here we go. When you're laying bets down on these early NBA games, especially that start next week, and even futures too, I mean, Lakers are the favorite to win the title alongside uh, Milwaukee. They're basically uh, the same odds to win. But is there anything you look at with a four and a half month layoff that we've never seen before? How are you going to bet these early games that start next week, not seeing any basketball for four and a half months? Well, there's a few angles to look into, just trying to think outside the box, because this is a whole new situation. They're in a bubble. There's no home court advantage. There's no travel. And the first thing I kind of think about is, you know, these veteran NBA guys who've been doing this their entire life, they've never trained their bodies to have a season stop and restart a season. I feel like this might have some of this, this weird dynamics might favor some young blood. You know, the Pelicans certainly young and deep. I think that's a positive for them. Because it's just that we're dealing with an uncharted situation. And guys that are 10, 15-year vets in the league, you know, you train your body to get ready for that 82-game marathon season and playoffs. And, you know, they've never had to play a big season of 60 games and then shut it down for three months and come back. And I wonder how people's bodies will adjust. I also wonder they've done a great job uh, with no people testing positive at 386. And, you know, I know Russell Westbrook is back now practicing with the Rockets from quarantine. But you got to feel like somebody's going to catch COVID at some point and have to miss a couple of weeks. And, you know, that could be a dynamic in the playoffs where what if some star players catch COVID and have to sit out? So, you know, when it comes to that, I think depth could be more of an issue than people realize. So when you look at well, – let's go long term. Is it still – I mean, L.A., L.A., Milwaukee, and everybody else is outside looking in as far as teams that can actually win the title. Well, the the one the one you mentioned, it's the second L.A. is the one that I like a lot because the Clippers held back Paul George and Kawhi so much in the first 60 games of the year. Kawhi never played back-to-backs. George was banged up. They were 10 deep. They have a lot of depth on that roster. And I feel like they've been holding back, kind of waiting to peak late. And uh, I think the, the L.A. Clippers and, you know, let's be honest, uh, you know, neutral floor, you know, the home court advantage the Lakers always have that the Clippers didn't have, you know, all that gets wiped out here, too. So I kind of 
think the Clippers are in a really, really good situation uh, with this. And it, it'd be so crazy. What if we have a Lakers-Clippers Western Conference Finals in Orlando? You know, the Staples Center thing. It's so nice yeah. <laughs> just even to, even to think about. The other team I want to mention that's interesting to follow is the Houston Rockets, who are 8-1. to but the reason they're so interesting to me is because, you know, they're such a great regular season team with Dan Tony. They do the three-pointer or layup thing. They're all about the analytics. And then when they get to the playoffs, the games are different. The refs let you be way, way more physical. You know, Houston's always a little deficient on defense. You know, this year, now that they traded Capella, they're going – I mean, they're playing complete small ball. My question is this. Are the officials going to call these games different? I mean, is this going to feel like street basketball? You know, in Orlando, this could be a whole different dynamic for playoffs. And if it's a different dynamic, uh, maybe that favors Houston as opposed to, you know, how bad they've struggled through the years in the playoffs in the, the physical series. And looks like Harden's lost some weight, used the, the quarantine time to get into better shape. Yeah, and Westbrook was coming on. Westbrook and Harden, they were kind of figuring things out the first couple months, getting used to playing again together. And, man, Westbrook came on so strong the last six to eight weeks. It felt like he really grasped his role. And I know that the small ball thing wasn't popular. You know, they're basically playing P.J. Tucker's 6'6 six, six at the five. But, you know, I mean, sometimes fortune favors the bold. It's going to be tough to see how they could ever stop uh, the Clippers or Lakers down low. But uh, if Westbrook and Harden get really hot, you never know. I think they're the out. They're they're the underdog. I'd look at if somebody can make a run. Man, call me crazy. I think the Lakers are really vulnerable. Uh, I do, especially and now with the injuries at guard, and, and so really good guard play is something that they're not going to be able to defend very well. No, I feel that way about the Lakers too. It kind of did this stop of the season. I think hurts them more than anybody. With uh, you know LeBron certainly being older, even though he was having a great year. I mean, it felt like they were the best team headed for the one seed and all that, but now a one seed isn't going to be home court anymore. And as I said, the guy, I think the Clippers have been holding back all year, and I think we're going to see them peak. And so they're, they're the team. I'd say they're the favorite. I like them more in the West than Lakers. Uh, Kawhi Leonard got all the load management he's needed over the last four and a half months, I think. Yeah, exactly. And then like, and Paul George has been hurt too. And, man, the thing about them – they still were, you know, the number two seed in the West, even not even having their guy, their star guys a lot. And, you know, Jerry West has just done such a phenomenal job in the front office with them and Doc Rivers coaching and the depth they've been able to create. And, you know, they're an organization. You know, you think about how big of a joke they were forever. It's, uh, it's very impressive what they've been able to build. Yeah, that core is much better than the Lakers core. Now, the Lakers have uh, two of the top five players in the world, and that changes things some, but – uh, the Clippers' core. I mean, they had to deal some guys to to make Kawhi and, and Paul George work, but what they came to was a much better situation than what LeBron and AD came to in Los Angeles. Well, and Paul Paul George and Kawhi kind of play the same position, so they're. I feel like they still were figuring out, you know, how that all works, uh, you know, as far as sharing the basketball and stuff. And I mean, I just think it's going to work. Like I said, I just think the depth. Uh, Paul Kawhi certainly has proven more than enough that you can trust him in the playoffs. And so uh, I'd say the Clippers are my pick of the West, like I said. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, turning the page to baseball. A lot of good picks from you, by the way. This has been awesome. Um, how do you bet opening day? Man, the thing with baseball, what I like to do in baseball, this is going to be fun because I used to be so – I was like a super fancy baseball nerd and following all the minor leagues and love uh, you know, following the pitching staffs and just everything – and I'm bringing all that back for this season. And let me tell you why, Mr. Porky. We got a 60-game college baseball-style season. 
My problem with MLB was never anything but the 162 games. If it doesn't matter if they win or lose, then how am I supposed to care as a fan? It's too many games. <laughs> well, now in a 60-game season, it reminds me of college baseball because they're playing 10 games each in their divisions. That's like conference. That's like SEC. And it's a whole different dynamic where every game counts. And then, you know, one thing I think Vegas is really messed up on, uh, on the handicapping of baseball is they haven't adjusted the favorites' lines. Sure, the Dodgers are a massive favorite in a 162-game season or the Yankees, but in a 60-game season, it's baseball. Anything can happen for 15, 20, 25 games. Let's say last year, after 60 games, the Nationals were 10 games under 500 at Memorial Day. And the Dodgers are known for slower starts, too. They usually crank it up big. So in only a 60-game season, I think there's a lot of value. If you can find some underdogs, some kind of middle-tier teams that you, you think have some stuff uh, you like, because the Dodgers and Yankees are both just kind of overvalued, in my opinion. Ooh, I like that. So what are your picks uh, tomorrow? We've got Yankees-Nats. Um, that's at 6 o'clock, right, tomorrow? And then the nightcap is Giants-Dodgers. Uh, have, you, have you thought about putting money down on either of those two games? I've looked at them, but what we've been looking more at, honestly, is the futures and division odds and the team win totals. And I've got a couple of really good win totals I like uh, for the 60 games. The, t- the teams I like, okay, I got a few. I like the San Diego Padres over 30 and a half wins a lot. I really like this team. I think Paddock's going to emerge as an ace. And what you're dealing with is a weird situation. A lot of these starting pitchers are going to be on pitch count starting the year. And I think bullpen is going to be more important than ever. And San Diego's got a lot of good young arms in that pen. Manny Machado disappointed some last year. I think Fernando Tatis is going to be junior is going to be one of the emerging stars in baseball. This is a team that can rake. And the reason I like them too is I'm kind of you know I think the Giants and Rockies are really, really struggling. I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to be anything too too great. And so other than the Dodgers, they're in a spot to really maybe make a run at the wild card. And at 30 and a half, I like the over. I think they can win 34, 35 games. So that's one of them uh, in the American League. The team I'm watching on a flyer, and this is just strategy-wise, they're 9-1 to one to win the American League. It's actually the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. And I don't think they can beat the Yankees in the division. But what I think about the Devil Rays, when you look at the AL Cy Young, three of the top six guys are Tampa. Schnell, Glasnow, and Charlie Morton, all 14-1 to one or less. If they can just sneak into a one-game wild card and pitch one of their aces, they're going to be a nightmare in three out of five or four out of seven series with that pitching staff. I know their offense isn't great, but if they can just sneak in there, they're going to be a tough team to beat in the playoffs because, you know, you saw it in the Nationals last year, man. You got the power arms. You're going to be tough to beat in postseason. You got Ben Mintz, uh, just a couple minutes left with him, ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. Um, the Atlanta Braves. We've got Brave, Braves country around here for sure. Tons of Braves fans around. Um, they were going to get Yasiel Puig, and then he tested positive, so he's still a free agent. What do you think? 33-and-a-half over-under for the Braves. Well, I, I really like this team uh, a lot. I, I, I love what they've built the last few years. I mean, they've done everything but the playoff thing. I mean, they've been really, really strong and so much good young talent. I'm glad to see Freddie Freeman hopefully feeling a little better because it uh, certainly sounded like he had a bad case of COVID. I think Soroka is going to have a solid year pitching, too, for him. Uh, I feel good about the Braves. I like them more. They're my favorite in the East. The Nationals losing Anthony Rendon is going to hurt them. Uh, I think their lineup's a little little weaker because of that. I mean, Rendon, I have uh, an incredibly high opinion of him. The Phillies are a little bit of a sleeper in the NL East. I, I like Aaron Nola, the former LSU Tiger, but I still wonder about their rotation depth. 
I like the Braves to win the NL East, but the one thing, that's a tough division. And this year with the division play, 10 games each against the Nationals, Phillies, Mets. I mean, granted, the Marlins are bad, but you know the Braves have a tougher schedule. So I don't know if I'd necessarily take the over, but I, I kind of do like them in the East. Uh, thanks a lot to Ben for, for joining us. He's a pro. Hope you took some notes. Uh, he's the best and, and just a really all-around good dude. So uh, that was Ben Mintz. 104.5 in Baton Rouge. Joined us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. During that interview, one of you guys sent us an idea for Palmer home tomorrow. That'll really bug Richard Cross. I'll tell you what that is next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you. You want to be a part of the conversation? 601-879-4395 is the number to text the show. That is the ceasefire text line. And all guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Coming up here in about 10 or so minutes from right now, there is some uh, recruiting drama that played out on social media yesterday. We'll talk about that next. Also... The athletic director at Texas is ambitious with some of his plans for the upcoming football season. Maybe too ambitious, but at least there's some form of optimism in the college football world. But first, as you all know, the Palmer Home Radiothon is tomorrow. It is my favorite day of the year at this company. Uh, It's just so rewarding and fulfilling and so cool to see the state of Mississippi listeners uh, of our shows and at times people that never listen to the show except for one time of year coming together uh, to help the children at Palmer Home. And sometimes we like to add some incentives. So we'll have John Cohen on the show tomorrow and Mike Bianco on the show tomorrow, and there's going to be some challenges and some matches, and Malcolm Reed's going to join us, and we're all going to be positively working towards raising money. But also there's some fun that can be thrown in. In my six years here, or five, this will be year six, Richard Cross has never done a... If we raise this much money, you have to do this challenge. We had a listener text in an idea, and I think we should give him no choice but to agree to this. This is from Ian in Gulfport. He says, in honor of Palmer Holmes' 125 years, for every $125 donation that comes from a Mississippi State fan, Richard has to say, Hail State, tomorrow. And hey, Dad... (laughs) If uh, there's an Ole Miss fan that donates $125, you have to say hotty toddy on the air. I want to ooh. add a wrinkle into Richards. I want us to have a cowbell. And he has to ring one. the cowbell and scream, Hail State. Every time a Mississippi State fan donates $125, we will record them and we will post them on social media every single time it happens. Now, we got to get him to agree to it, but if you apply the pressure, it's all up to you guys and you hate it. I'll bring a cowbell. Will I've you agree one. to this? Will you say hotty toddy? Do like, I don't know, the last bit or the first bit of hotty toddy every time we get a 125? Sure. See, and that agrees to it right away. So we've got one half that's all in because he knows it's bigger than anything but raising money for these kids. Now yeah. we've got to shame and Richard into doing the same thing. I'll even, you know, if he's got to ring a cowbell, I'll do the old Miss thing. I'll take a shot of whiskey every time I say it. Isn't that their tradition up there? I don't know. You'll be dead by the end of the show. <laughs> I can hold my liquor. I don't know if anybody can hold that much. Well, hopefully. Uh, not. Yeah. Hopefully not. But I, I love that idea, Ian. I, I'm not being flippant. I'm going to try to get him to do it. 
There's no guarantee that he'll agree to it. But that's not like shaving his head. I don't think a grown man should have to shave his head if he doesn't want to. No. Ringing a cowbell and screaming, Hail State, is harmless, and we're going to make him do it. You know, the, the score of the Egg Bowl affects my donation. Last year I donated at 135.03. This year I'll be donating 121.20. <laughs> Moorhead could have put some more touchdowns on the board, you know. Could have, I could get some more money in there. Oh, man. Still NBA games going on right now. Uh, how about the Denver Nuggets, by the way? Played a the antithesis of a small ball lineup where uh, the Joker played point guard. And they had an entire starting five that was six nine or taller. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I want that that team against the Rockets. Let's go. So my new balls kid is now in the NBA. Bowl. But so I said bowl. No, it's not. Did I did it's I put a, a you uh, said minute balls? His kid, like, minute balls kid. Bowl. Bowl. Minute, minute balls oh. kid. Oh, okay. Well, his kid is now in the NBA. And what is he? Is he 7'4"? Yeah, he's something like that, yeah. And he can't weigh. So he's 7'2", and they list him at 220. He can't be 220. I mean, he is a rail. But he's incredibly skilled. And there were a couple fast breaks that he led today. And watching seven foot two run the way he does, really fluid and dribble and distribute the basketball at his size, is mind blowing. He looks like—I don't know how to describe it. He looks like one of those inflatable tube mans that car dealerships used to put out in front. Like he's just so long and lanky, but yet when he dribbles the ball and he steps back and shoots threes too, it's abnormal. Like you've not seen—and he needs to gain weight or else he's going to get destroyed if he's guarding guys on the block. But his fluidity in space, it's, it's truly mind-blowing to me. I mean, watching the highlights doesn't look real. Yeah, he's, he's very skilled for a player of his size. Josh says you have to throw a fins up, too, when you say hi oh. to Toddy. Oh. Ah, we'll see how it goes. A bow, somebody wants me to wear a bow tie. I don't even know how to tie a bow tie, let alone. Do they make clip-on bow ties? They do. Most wedding. I should go. I should go the Chris Fowler out. from Game Day route. Put on the blonde Bama Bangs wig and have my red <laughs> howdy, solo howdy, cup y'all. right there. All right, coming up here. Recruiting drama on Twitter over kickers. We'll explain next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Five o'clock hour sports talk, Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you. It is great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon, the day before the Palmer Home Radiothon, also the day before opening day. And one week from tomorrow, the NBA begins. NFL training camp has started. Ladies and gentlemen, we are kind of getting back to normal. Things are going to look differently when baseball starts tomorrow. There will be no fans in the stands, but it'll really look like July baseball. It won't look like opening day, but nobody shows up to July baseball anyway, so that'll be kind of normal. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Why why would you do that? I know. I know. I'm just kidding. But things are starting to get back to normal, and it is great to be with you. But it is just after 5 o'clock, and that means it's time to talk about kicker controversy on Twitter for the College Football Fix. 
College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Stop by and test drive one today. The F-150's been the country's best-selling truck for almost two of my lifetimes. So stop by a local Mississippi Ford dealer and see what the hype is all about today. So, hey, Dad, I'm sure you saw events unfold last night. Well, I saw, uh, I got a, uh, a text or something about the, the kid decommitting. And I know, of course, that that is uh, the mayor of Oxford, the the mayor in, in name only, the actual mayor of Oxford, Jake Mangum. But, oh, <laughs> but I saw that her son, who I guess is a kicker at either, I don't know what high school, Oxford High, Lafayette County, I don't know. Uh, but he had, okay, he had decommitted from Ole Miss. Um, and it was a little weird. The, 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 the tweet, because he thanked all the former staff, but whatever. you know That's all you saw? Th- so that's the only thing you saw last night? No, no, I'm getting to it. Oh, okay. And then I saw that Ole Miss picked up another kicker. So I'm like, okay, well, I see what happened here. I, I, I have to make the assumption. I, don't, I follow recruiting, but kicker recruiting is a bridge too far for even me. Um, I have to assume the kid they brought in was probably more highly thought of than the local kid, and they were like, well, you know, that's how life's going to work. That's how it go. It happens all the time. And but then I I was made aware. I didn't actually see it because I don't follow a lot of this stuff. These people. I, the only reason I saw the kid who committed his tweet was Rippy retweeted it. Um. But yeah, I, I saw that there was some uh some some sniping and some back and forth between the uh, the city of Oxford's uh, employees and those of the University of Mississippi. Uh, l- little drama. So uh, the initial tweet, uh, Jack. Tannehill, a kicker at Oxford High School, said thank you to all of the Ole Miss coaches that recruited me, especially Coach Luke, Coach Ripping, Coach Peeler, and Coach Chapman. I've decided that it's best for me if I decommit from Ole Miss. My recruitment is 100% open. And as Haydad said, you know, not a big deal. Guys commit and decommit all the time. When there's a coaching change, a lot of times they'll thank the previous staff. It's a fine tweet from a young kid dealing with some adversity in his recruitment. No problem there. About 30 minutes later, Ole Miss uh, got the commitment of a kicker that, according to the website that ranks kickers, a five-star kicker. Apparently, he's very good. I'm just going to take my buddy who covers recruiting on a full-time basis, his word for it. The kicker is very, very, very good. And an elite-level high school kicker out of Louisiana. His name is Cade Costa. and They love the Costas in Oxford. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mandeville, Louisiana is where he's from. Apparently, he's an exceptional high school kicker. Those two things happening, like Haydad said, applying Razor to this situation is simply how things work. Sometimes in recruiting is schools find somebody they like better, they pursue them, they get them, they encourage one to move on. I have not spoken to anybody that has told me specifically that's exactly what happened, but Occam's yeah. Razor tells you that that is... The likely scenario. And it works out for the uh, for the uh, the second kid a lot of times too. So I mean, sometimes the kid that you didn't want becomes somebody else's yeah. kid that they did want. You know, I I always go back to Mississippi State. Lost out on C.J. Johnson, so they recruited a two star linebacker out of Rosa Fort. His name was Bernardrick McKinney. See, there you go. Tennessee missed out on Patrick Willis. Yeah, uh, stuff like so, that. Uh, but what caused a stir was. Um, May, Mom, the mayor, uh, retweeted a handful of things. And I'm... I'm going to have to pull this up now while we're talking it, Well, about they're it. gone now. Oh. 
one of which was a tweet that says the 2020 Ole Miss football recruiting class currently is an absolute disaster. That was a tweet sent after a kicker decommitted, but still, uh, that's what the tweet said. <laughs> um, there was okay. also uh, a retweet of Lane Kiffin a few days ago saying, never kick field goals, score touchdowns. So obviously there was some nefarious retweeting going on there, and as well as a few other things uh in relation to that and the decommitment and people wishing him well and, and stuff like that. So that got a lot of people fired up. In fact, I don't I don't talk to many people at night. Hey, that'll tell you. I put my phone away at 6 o'clock when I get home. You can't. You try texting Michael Borky at 6.01, and you see how, how long it takes. You'll be getting a response the next day at 8.30 in the morning. I, I put my phone up, and about 9.30 or so I picked it back up, and... I had at least 15 text messages from friends or people that I've acquainted myself with that are Ole Miss fans that were furious and fired up at the fact that the mayor of the town there was tweeting stuff like that. And here's what what my reaction was to them and to everybody else. It's probably not advisable that a public official in a town like that that is very dependent on Ole Miss football to be retweeting things that are bad about Ole Miss football. Probably, you know, first rule of Twitter, never tweet, didn't follow the rule. That's why this happened. But what I said to everybody is, at the end of the day, number one, it's really not that big of a deal because if you look at it from a parent. Now, I don't have a child that's been disappointed by somebody else yet. He's nine months old. He is, um, you know. It'll get there. Still spitting up on himself, and he's just now learning how to pick up food and put it in his own mouth. Okay, so I haven't had the opportunity, the unfortunate opportunity, to have my children get disappointed. You've probably been there because all children get disappointed at some point. It's brutal, isn't it? Oh, it's awful. One of the worst things ever, especially when there's nothing you can do about it. So putting yourself in somebody's shoes from a parent instead of what their position is makes that a little bit easier to understand. Somebody, something happened there. Clearly something happened there. Bacham's Razor tells you that the current Ole Miss coaching staff liked a different kicker better than that one. And so I didn't have the same reaction as some people did. It's, you shouldn't do it. It's not, it's not advisable. But it's apparent. Saul, and and very soon thereafter, realized that it was a bad idea and undid all of the things on Twitter. So I had a friend this morning text me and say, you better go off on on the mayor on your podcast and on the radio show this afternoon. And I simply said, well, you're barking up the wrong tree because I'm not going to do that. It's not advisable, but, I mean, come on. People do things that they shouldn't do online, myself included, all the time. So that's where I stand. It's a parent reacting to something that happened to their kid. So I, I just yeah. I, I didn't share I mean, that. And, feeling and my that guess is, do. my guess is there are lots of uh, parents who get on Twitter when stuff like this happens, and we just don't see that because their parents aren't the mayor of the city where the school is. So you've got a lot of, you know. Cross contamination is not the right word, but you've got people who are Ole Miss fans who also follow the mayor of Oxford, but to get that news as well, so they're seeing that stuff. So, yeah. you know, I mean, staying at Ole Miss, I mean, Shea Patterson's dad was a social media fiend. You couldn't, oh my gosh, you yeah. couldn't say anything bad about Shea Patterson without having to deal with Sean Patterson. I'm, I may get a phone call now just for talking about it here. 
Yeah, we do get a text that say that Tannehill is also a five-star on several recruiting sites. I mean, maybe. Uh, I know Rivals in 24-7 does not give five stars to kickers, so you've got to go to like these right. kicker specialty websites, and maybe that's the yeah. case. I don't know. I just I have a friend that covers recruiting closely, and from a prospect perspective, one has more accolades than the other. doesn't mean the other one's bad by any stretch of the imagination at all. It just this is what happens in college football recruiting. This, this is what happens. And I do want to talk about that tweet, actually, because there's some truth to it about Ole Miss's current recruiting class. But there's also some context that needs to be applied to it as well. And the same thing goes for Mississippi State. And the same thing goes for Arkansas and Missouri. Even though they have a top 20 class, I'm about to put that in perspective, too. So, no, a kicker decommitting is not a sign of a recruiting class being a disaster, but only having seven commits is something to be concerned about. So we'll talk about all that next. Um, But if you're still listening, my friend, I, I, I sympathize with a parent. You shouldn't do it. You should not tweet stuff like that. No. But I've tweeted things that I have deleted too because they were stupid. And uh, I will try to do better, but I can't make any promises. So recruiting. How should we look at recruiting classes right now? We'll discuss next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borkies. Brian Haydad. Great to be with you. 601-879-4395 is the text line if you want to be a part I will add this before we get into the nuances of current recruiting classes. Um, It it has become very apparent that, especially based on the reaction to to what happened uh, with this kicker swap, if you will, that there are are people that are simply uncomfortable with how Lane Kiffin's going to go about his business while he's the head coach at Ole Miss. Um, I'm not saying it's the right way. I'm not saying it's the wrong way. But he is seemingly... Approaching it very similarly to the way Nick Saban approaches his business at Alabama. I am not comparing the two as head coaches. Don't don't get me wrong here. Um, He's got a lot to prove uh, before that can happen on any level. Uh, But Nick Saban, when he went to Alabama, uh, general consensus, and we've talked to some people that cover the program, is he did not care about, you know, bumping elbows with the locals and appeasing people. He knew that he had one job to do, and that was win football games. And when he does that, everything else will take care of itself. It seems like Lane Kiffin's making the same approach. To me, and I I very well could be wrong, it strikes me as a situation where the coach doesn't exactly care about being best friends with everybody in town. And there are people that are seemingly uncomfortable with that. And here's the thing. It's better this way. I'm not saying Lane Kiffin's going to work, or I'm not saying he's not going to work, but if you want to win at a high level, you have to start acting like a high-level program. And having a coach that is so accessible that you have random people in town texting them uniform selections for Saturday, you've got a problem. This is how it's going to be now. There's a coaching staff that doesn't exactly care where the players they get come from. They are not going to take a kid from Mississippi just because he's from Mississippi. Their one job is to win football games. 
Their job is to not be best friends with the locals. Their job is to not be friends at the country club. Their job is to win football games. And they may do it, they may not. But that's what their approach is going to be. Their job is to field a roster that they can, the best roster they can possibly put on the field, and it doesn't matter where they come from. So if there's an opportunity to get a player from a different state who they think is even marginally better than one inside of the state, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go get a player from somewhere else. That's how big-time programs act. Not saying Ole Miss is a big-time program. The numbers say they're not. But you've got a coach and a staff in place that thinks they can be, and they're going to act differently than what you've seen in the past. The dude at the top doesn't care about being buddies with everybody in town. And that clearly rubs some people the wrong way. And I don't mean to be flippant, but get over it. Because they got one job. And no matter how friendly, as we've learned, we saw last year, no matter how much the coaches loved in town, it's a wins and losses business. And if you're not winning, people aren't showing up and you're not keeping your job. And that's what's happening here. And it makes people, some people, really uncomfortable. And we're seeing that. It's manifesting right in front of our eyes. Any thoughts? I mean, you know, I think that there are some programs. I mean, I feels like Orgeron is sort of buddy buddy with his people, right? I mean, because he's from that area. There are some programs. It's all about what, what it, yeah, works it for your program. Yeah, rub, rubbing you know, elbows it, it, with the locals is not bad. It doesn't it, mean you're doing a bad job or you're a bad no, guy or anything. It, it's just no different. approaches. No approaches. One size fits all. Exactly. Right? Everybody's got their own approach. You got to find what works for you. What's made Saban successful is being Saban. What makes Orgeron successful is being Orgeron, and so on and so forth. What makes Leach successful is, is made Leach successful, and what's made Kiffin successful is, is what's made him successful. So you know, the fan has to adjust to the coach. The coach doesn't adjust to the fan. What is it? If you listen to the fans, you'll be sitting with them. Well, I mean, that, that, like there's that. a lot of truth in that. So. There's a lot of truth in that. It's different, and it, it just it doesn't make one way wrong. Dabo Sweeney's a very involved local person. I think he's pretty successful, and he's involved around there more than what you're going to see from Kiffin at Ole Miss. They're different. One's extremely successful. It doesn't mean the strategy is wrong. It just, like Haydad said, it, people have to adjust to the style here. It's going to be different than what you're used to, and some people have not... Uh, taken too kindly to that so far. Turn to the page here. On the, on the similar subject, recruiting. It's July 22nd. How should recruiting be evaluated in your eyes right now? It's so difficult. There have been no camps. You know, camps, especially for Mississippi State, is where State usually gets a ton of its recruits. It has 11 commitments right now. Normally, in a, in a, with a year with camps, they'd be around 16 or 17, maybe even more uh, at this point. Uh, you know, it's making it difficult to evaluate, especially, again, for State and Ole Miss, those marginal players. You know, the five-star guys are, are what they are. You know, State would normally be looking to find some, some hidden gems. I think Ole Miss would, too. And you can't find them because they're not coming to camp. So you're going to have to wait and see how the season's played out. And, of course, there are some seasons that aren't going to play out or are going to play out differently. You know, how, how is recruiting going to work in an area, an era of social distancing? And, and, you know, are you going to be allowed to go to the stadiums? I, I just don't know the answer to these questions. 
you know, state is also sort of hurt this year, and so is Ole Miss. I guess I should put both. The in-state crop this year is not great. You know, you think two years ago where you had all those four-star kids and a couple of five-star kids, and in, in this year in the state, there's just not those kind of players. Uh, you know, you look at the, the top guy in the state, Deion Smith, is is a legit national recruit. But then beyond him, you know, there's just there's just not a lot. There's there's good players, but there's not a lot of great players. And a lot of these guys are going out of state. You know, three, what, four of the top six are already committed out of state. And one of the top six, Ty Keys, I don't think he's ended up at state or Ole Miss. So unless he ends up at Southern, he's probably going out of state. Uh, Antonio Harmon looks like it's going to be a state Ole Miss battle. But yeah, that, that's, it's just sort of weird when you look at it like that. So state right now, you know, they've got their quarterback. They've got a couple of receivers. It looks like they're going to pick up another four star receiver in the next week or two. Malik Neighbors from, uh, uh, from Louisiana, so I mean, I feel like they're okay. They're 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 hurting along the uh, the the fronts, you know, the both lines. But there's just not a lot of guys in the state this year. That's where state gets its defensive linemen in the state more often than not. You think about all of the great D linemen the state has had the past few years. Most of them have been available in Mississippi either via JUCO or the, or the high schools. There's just not a guy like that this year. There's not any guys like that. And, and the offensive line, sort of the same thing. Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about Ole Miss to talk too much about it, but six commitments, I mean, that's that's a little rough. They, they, it feels like they should have at least yeah. two or three more guys in there. It's technically seven now, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but here's the well, thing. Is he, is he a kicker? Is he getting a scholarship? Or you know, Most kickers these days are the preferred walk-on type guys. As is a, he getting a scholarship? He said in his tweet that he's getting, getting a scholarship, which is not okay. the same as the previous kicker commit. Okay, okay. So they well, seem to value So him. seven commitments then. Yeah, so they have seven. So all of these things can be true at once. Uh, there was that tweet that got everybody fired up that the mayor retweeted about Ole Miss's recruiting class right now being a disaster. All of these things can be true at one time. Number one, new coaches, especially in this state, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, the coronavirus has severely hindered their ability to establish a recruiting class in the early going this year because they didn't get to have junior days in Starkville last year. Right. They didn't get to have junior days in Oxford last year. Guess and, who did? Everyone else in the SEC. And these are both new staffs. Entirely. So they don't they don't have the connections. You know, if Moorhead and Luke were still in charge, you would still have a ton of connections. Or you're like, look, I know we can't get down there to see you, but we know. I mean, State and Ole Miss's staffs, they don't know the high schools yeah. at all. And they can't go visit them because of They can't go visit them, yeah. It's also true that in Ole Miss's case, Mississippi State has 11 commits according to rivals. Ole Miss has seven. It can also be true that seven in their ranking, it's 81st, is something that you need to keep an eye on, that's eyebrow-raising, that needs to obviously get better. And it can also be true that it is July. And using terminology to describe... It's both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. State is 30 spots ahead of Ole Miss, but Mississippi State is not finishing 51st in recruiting. There is nothing about Mississippi State's class right now that needs to be evaluated in any other context besides it's July, and there's also a pandemic. So if you look at uh, other examples around uh, around the country, so Missouri right now, 18th class in the country. I said this on the podcast this morning. 18 total commits. Only two of them are four stars. That class is going to freeze fall when everybody else fills theirs up. Rutgers is 20th in the country right now. Yeah. 20th. No four stars, no five stars. When, that class is also going to free fall. So you need. When you to- look at, when you look at, I believe it's 24 7. When you look at the average rating per player, 
those are both going to end up being top 25 classes if they hold their rating per player and sign 25 guys. Much better that, gauge of things right now. Don't look yeah. at numbers. Yeah. Sevens, an eyebrow raiser. Yeah. Elevens, a less eyebrow raiser. But there's a reason that they're in the positions they're in. And I will guarantee you right now they don't end there. Looking at numbers in recruiting in July is, is disingenuous. We need to stop doing that. Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you. Just to hammer home a point. If I counted correctly, I may have missed one or two, but you get the gist. According to Rivals, Mississippi State is 51st in the country in recruiting. 11 commitments. But their average star rating is 3.18. That is better than at least 24 teams in front of them. At least. I, I may have missed count, but... That shows you why talking and looking at recruiting right now is disingenuous. I mean, if you look at 20 spots ahead of Mississippi State is Arkansas. So you have people that say, oh, Sam Pittman doing a great job with recruiting. Um, 16 commits, 15 of which are three stars. Mississippi State has more four stars than Arkansas does in part because they have zero. But that's not a class that's winning games in the SEC West. It's not a good class. It will free fall when things get back to normal. And are State fans concerned? Last night kind of shined a light on, and again, I got a bunch of text messages from friends last night that were worried about Ole Miss's recruiting, in part because of one particular tweet that said it was a disaster. But... um, are state fans sharing the same sentiment? Are they concerned at all with the current status of recruiting? Not, not too much, I don't think, uh, because you know he, he's getting the guys in terms of quarterback and wide receiver that state has not been getting. So that's a, that's a good start. You, you need those, you need the wide receivers, especially yeah. all, all all the wide receivers state has signed this year and the last season uh, will will have opportunities to play in twenty twenty one, and then. By and large, when you hire Mike Leach, you're not hiring in a guy known for his elite recruiting. You know, if he can just sort of keep things around where Mullen and Moorhead had them, 25 to 35 every year, well, that's going to be a step up from what he's ever had before. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of worry about Mike Leach's recruiting at this point amongst Mississippi State fans. And keeping it within Arkansas uh, right now, again, you Mississippi State message boards will tell you, um, you can't call me a Mississippi State homer. However, if you offered me Arkansas's current class, which is 20 spots higher than Mississippi State, or Mississippi State's current class, guess which one I'm taking? The one with the higher profile athletes on it. I'm taking Mississippi State's class. I don't care about the current ranking. If you look at the two of them and compare them next to each other, one of them's better, and it's not the one that's ranked 20 spots ahead. If this was November, yeah, you should be a little more than a little worried. You should be really concerned. There's just no reason to be concerned right now at all. It, and so that's why no. we don't really talk about it that much, just because it's July and there's also yeah. a pandemic. But it's July. If if this was July in a normal year and State had 11 commitments and Ole Miss had six or seven, I don't know where you look, I guess. Yeah, that would be a story. Be like, what is going on? It, it's just it's just the way that it is right this second. You know, they're just. There's just not, teams that just don't have a lot of commitments right now. They just don't. Now, your, your powers do. And you've got some guys that are sort of out of the – like Tennessee. 
But Tennessee also has 23 commitments. Their class is pretty much done. Yeah. North Carolina being ranked in the top 10. That's unusual, sure. But, you know, Clemson only has 13 commitments right now. Georgia only has 10. So, I mean, it's just everything's just sort of thrown off. And and another thing to consider is we don't know what the calendar is going to be for recruiting. They're still in a dead period, technically. I can't see any way, shape, or form there's going to be an early signing period this year. I cannot imagine they're going to allow the December signing period because I don't know how they're going to allow official visits and things of that nature. There's just so many unanswered questions right now that we just don't know. And so... Yeah, for, for for me, viewing it from the outside, I, I don't think there's a lot of, of, of concern, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of concern until we get closer to whatever signing day is going to be. Yeah. And all those schools you mentioned, it's worth noting that they all have had established coaching staffs in place. It's a little yeah. bit easier for Jeremy Pruitt to navigate through a pandemic without visits when the guys he's recruiting all visited right. his campus last year with right. him and staff. Right, yeah. Then, whereas Mississippi State, you know, you've got some people on staff, and Ole Miss has got a couple people on staff, but by and large, those staffs are new, especially for Mississippi State. I mean, you have Tony Hughes, and that's it. Everybody else came from Washington State, with the exception of uh, Jason Washington, who was at Texas last year. Every literally, the rest of the staff was at Washington State with Mike Leach. And, I mean, I cannot imagine they have a ton of interaction with Mississippi. And never mind Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, you know, the areas Mississippi State recruits. So, And not to mention, yeah, even those though Those are relationships Hughes, you have to build, and, and they haven't had a chance to do that. Right. And even though Hughes was on staff last year, um, he didn't know if he was going to be on staff this year. So, I mean, by all accounts, he's a good dude, but I can't imagine that in the days after Moorhead's firing, between yeah. that and Mike, Mike Leach asking him to join his staff, he was just calling everybody around the state, asking them to please come to Mississippi State yeah. when I don't and know I, if I'm going to be here. I'm sure. I'm, my guess is that's a well. I mean, that, I guess that was that's right there at the uh, the the pinnacle of recruiting for last season. You know, because it happened in the end of January. Now, of course, you know you remember when Moorhead left. State's class was basically done, and they ended up getting like two or three more guys. KJ Costello, one of them, is a transfer. But you know, yeah, I mean, when there's uncertainty going on, you just don't know. So, yeah, he and Hughes is a great recruiter, and it was very wise of uh, Mike Leach uh, to keep him on staff. And in hindsight, it looks doubly wise because imagine if you didn't have him. Yeah, imagine seriously. if you didn't have one guy. On, you know, you have your recruiting staff, but. One guy on your coaching staff who didn't have those connections that Tony Hughes has, he he at least is a bridge for Mississippi State. And I guess for Ole Miss, uh, you know, they, they have T-Buck and Deke Adams who were at State last year. Um, they, somebody else remained from that staff, didn't it? My, who am I missing? Is it Nix? Yes. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good one to have in terms of having connections. But imagine if those guys weren't there. You know, I know yeah. Nix, there, there was a guy that, I recall that there was some controversy, not controversy, but there was some question of whether or not he was going to stay on staff or not. There was. Imagine if Kiffin and, and, and Leach had let those guys go. They'd be swimming with no paddle right now. Yeah. King Biscuit says, rankings have always made me sick. Keeps people employed, though. I'd love to see these classes re-rank two to three years later. Yeah, there are programs that develop better than others. You know, well, you know who says that, don't you? The people that don't recruit very well. No, no, no. Well, well yeah, that it's true. What you're, but, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, ask, me if, <laughs> ask me in four years about this class. I mean, there is there is a direct correlation. It's undeniable. A direct correlation between recruiting rankings, success on the field, and NFL draft picks. There has never been a national champion 
that has not had at least two top ten recruiting classes. Blue chip index. In the four years leading up. And, of course, there's not been one that has not had at least 50% blue chips. And the hit rate on five stars is about 50% for NFL draft picks. Four stars is about 20. Three stars is about 5%. So the, the evaluators do a pretty good job. I think the point I'm trying to hammer home here is the timing. It's yeah. it's still just midsummer when there's been no ability to have anybody visit. These these two classes may not be as good as either coach can do because of that, but they're not going to end here. They're not going to. No. And if you look at the teams in front of them, I mean, in front of Mississippi State right now, you have Duke with a star rating that's almost .4 lower. I, Mississippi State will pass Duke. Mississippi State's going to pass Navy, who's ahead of them. Florida Atlantic, Temple, SMU, Toledo, Kansas, Iowa State doesn't recruit very well typically, Wake Forest, Memphis, Northwestern. I mean, that, those are the, the people that are ahead. Like I mentioned, Rutgers has a top 20 class. If you look at what makes up, the 20 commitments that they have, when everybody else starts filling theirs up, it will free fall. Yeah. It really is something to look at five-star players and how how good the rankings are for those. It's, it's, it really yeah. is something. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at 16, which, you know, would be the last. Those kids would be true seniors or maybe would have been could have been gone as juniors, whatever. I mean, looking at the top, Rashawn Gary was number one. He's in the NFL. Dexter Lawrence is in the NFL. Greg Little's in the NFL. Shea Patterson had a cup of coffee there, you know. Jacob Eason's a very in the NFL. small one, more like a little yeah. espresso. Ed Oliver's shot, in but... the NFL. Levante Taylor signed a free agent deal. Nick Bosa was a high draft pick. Derek Brown was a high draft pick. Like the first person here that I know, I, I think Ben Davis is either still playing football or whatever. But he, he's he's the first guy that you could call a true bust, and that he's never really done anything at Alabama. So you got to get to the top. You know, in the top ten, only one of them busted out. You hit ninety percent were at the very least good college players. I know we don't like Shea Patterson. That's something all Mississippians can agree on. But we can at least say he was a good college player. Not great, but good. So, I mean, you know, it's it's insane. I mean, how how good this – I mean, just looking down this list at, at these five-star kids, how many of them are, are in the NFL right now? Yeah. So, yeah, they, they hit more often than not. Pretty good at their jobs. But I, yeah. I understand your point, though. It's not the end-all, be-all. There are no. three stars that make it. Yeah, but it, from a percentage standpoint, I mean, twenty four seven does thirty two five stars every year. They do enough for they, to have a first round of the NFL draft. And I, I mean, better than fifty percent of those guys are in the NFL right now. There might be two hundred three stars in the NFL, but that's out of how many kids? Six, seven thousand? I don't know. So yeah, it, it, it's a percentage thing. Sports Talk, That's how it works. Mississippi. That is how it works.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.